Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bat in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. I am joined by my good friend Tim Lee. Tim, how are you? I'm good. Uh, it's been a pretty good sports climate if you're like a Los Angeles sports fan for the most part. Just in terms of like optimism and uh, in terms of like <laughs> in terms of quality of sports as well. I think it's been it's been a very very enjoyable last few months. I would even say, right? Yeah, I mean, Tim, I mean, we haven't talked in quite a bit, and um, you know, I, I can't remember the lo- the last time we had you on the show. But I mean, if I had told you, I mean, let's just take it back to around the trade deadline and uh you know this was uh, you know mid to late february um even 21 games left in the season the lakers were the 13th seed below 500 right um if i had said the lakers were going to the western conference finals you justifiably would have called me a homer and would have called me crazy uh listen i know a lot of laker fans are upset that their team got swept i believe that they got swept by the best team in the world and the best player um, in the world in Nikola Jokic. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. You know, clearly when you have four games that are one possession games, you, you'd love to win one or two of those, but, um, big, big picture though, big pictures, uh, Tim, the way that they came back from again, all in five, two in 10, 201 long shots, uh, 13th seed at like one month left in the season below 500. For them to go on the run that they did was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think I've been anything uh, but dishonest. I think every time you've asked for my opinion, I've been candid about it. When I said that they were like the 13th or 14th worst team in the West, they were. And then when you ask me if a healthy AD and a healthy LeBron James with a supporting cast is a dangerous team, I told you straight out that, yes, that is probably one of the most dangerous teams in the NBA. They kind of proved that, right? So I probably wouldn't. Uh, pat myself on the back and say that they were definitely a Western Conference Finals team. I thought they were maybe at least, at best, a quarters team. Yeah, maybe maybe if I really wanted to be optimistic, like super optimistic, a semifinal team because we've seen peak AD before, and peak yeah. AD can take on teams by himself. He's just an absolute monster, and we saw bits and pieces of that, right? Like we all we obviously saw like the kind of brilliance that he's capable of performing, but we've also saw the inconsistencies that he's always been played with with his career. Where it's just like, where did this guy go? Why, why isn't he as aggressive as he was before? Why isn't he taking the shots that he was taking before? Like, you can't go from 40 and into six from game to game. That's very Jekyll and Hyde. So I think if you saw the full complement and the full potential of his ability, they probably would have gone a little bit further, at least not to the level of being swept by Denver. I think, uh, Armand, you know, who's not here with us, 
he would probably agree that like Denver has always been that team to look out for in the West. Yeah. They were just such a complete team. I think even a few months ago when this was brought up as a topic, uh, it was asked like, who did I feel like was the scariest team in the West? And I do believe I put Denver as front runners because they had Jamal Murray back. And like, I was just wondering whether or not this second star for Denver and like, it's very disrespectful in my opinion to call him a second star, but it's just so difficult to put him as a, a primary star when you have and what you perfectly surmounted to the best player in the world, which is, you know, Nikola Jokic. Yeah. It's just like Jamal Murray as a, as a second star is just like an incredible second star. And in the playoffs, he's just a completely different player. He just does everything so well, right? Like that's what I'm just like really looking forward to this finals because he's an incredible pick and roll guy. He can look for his own shot, create his own shot. He has like a, such a huge mix of moves in his bag and he can shoot from any bit of range. So you're looking at potentially not just a second star, but like arguably the best player if Jokic wasn't even in the series as your second operating guy. So I don't know. Denver offensively looks like it's an impossible task for any team to deal with. And Darvin Ham did what he could. I'm not yeah. saying he did like incredible adjustments in that series. He wasn't like the best. He definitely wasn't as sharp as he was against the Warriors. But yeah. maybe that's just a product of just being exhausted mentally by dealing with one of the best teams in the Warriors. So I, you I, know don't, what? I don't put too much on him. It, it, there, there was so many things happening. And again, the important thing is you got to give Denver their flowers. They were the best team. And again, they have since December, Tim, they've been the best team in the West and arguably the best team in the league. And the reason that, that I say that, yes, Milwaukee was the one seed. I, I, I was not sold on Milwaukee, the Celtics. We'll see what happens with them. But, you know, they've been the best team in the West since December. They've been arguably the best team in the league since that time. So it's not, you know, where, where they came on late. Uh, and to your point, Jamal Murray at times during that series and certainly during those two wins in Los Angeles was the best player on yes. the floor. So, you know, when you, when, when you have statistically speaking and, you know, over the last couple of years, the best player, and then you have a hot Jamal Murray who's playing like the best, the second best player. I mean, it, it's just impossible to defeat that team. That being said, if you're the Lakers, and there's no consolation prize, but the one thing that I will say is that, you know, from afar when you get swept, it's like, oh, my God, this team is so far away from being competitive. What do they have to do? What changes do they have to make? Yes, listen, you, you have to make some tweaks. You have to make some changes. They had the lead in the fourth quarter in games two, three, and four. In game one was a one possess one possession game late. Again, you got to win those games. You got to find a way to win at least two of those games, push the series. I think we're having a different conversation if they lost in six or seven. Right. But they have the core here, Tim. So I want to get your, 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 your thoughts here. The reason that I didn't think that they would have the run that they did was a couple of reasons. A, the health. Listen, I think that's the way you look at this at, from a Lakers standpoint as a missed opportunity because the health is just not promised. And we all know that. Look at the Clippers. I mean, they, on paper, the, the best team on paper. But at the end of the day, come playoff time, if you don't have Kawhi and you, you don't have Paul George, you yeah. don't have a, a, a championship team. So the Lakers go into the postseason – with LeBron, again, not healthy, but kind of as healthy as you're going to be. Ed, Anthony, D.D. Davis. Um, but, Tim, I, I do think that they have a core group here. And I didn't think that they, ha they, ha they had enough time to gel the way that they did. 
So you look at, you know, Jared Vanderbilt and D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves coming on the way he did and the pieces that they have in place. You could argue if, if they just ran back that same team, are they the championship favorite? No. Are they in the conversation? Would they be one of the top four teams in the league? I think that they could be. What would you do? Yeah, the framework is there. They definitely were looking for like a third guy to like at least be a consistent option. And then Reeves kind of showed up toward the end. He was really good in the first series. And then he kind of like disappeared a little bit during the Warrior series. But that's because they marked him really well. So obviously, if you, he commands attention as a guy who's not supposed to command attention, I mean, he's a second year player. It made sense that he kind of like didn't do as well as he would have expected to the norm, right? So yeah. I, I think they got their third guy that they could at least have consistent input from. Uh, Rui is actually the biggest significance for me. I didn't think he was going to show out as well as he did. He's never been known as this kind of consistent scorer. Uh, maybe like some sort of like microwave scorer sometimes, but like he hasn't had that many opportunities when he was with the Wizards. It just didn't look like he had that much star appeal. And I, I think star, is, I'm using that very loosely, obviously, because he's not a star, but he's just like, he's a great role player. And he, I think he showcased just how valuable he could be. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's difficult for me to think about. The core is definitely there. But when you mentioned those pieces that you mentioned, it makes sense that those players did so well together and gelled so quickly because those are very malleable pieces, right? Like you mentioned Hachimura, who's always been a very good bench scorer. You mentioned Reeves, who's been uh, a flourishing on ball and even off ball player for the most part for the Lakers. But you mentioned the most significant one, which is Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt doesn't really need a lot of time to gel with a team core. Yeah. He kind of just does whatever he needs to do, right? Like, that's the kind of player he is, which is why he's been getting, like, you know, Dennis Rodman comparisons for the most part, or at least modern-day Dennis Rodman. I don't want to disrespect the guy's name. Yeah. But, like, Vanderbilt just does everything. He doesn't need to do anything set up for him. He doesn't have plays called for him. He's not an on-ball guy. He doesn't demand tons of usage. He just plays with pure energy, and he goes around and defends every single position. So... I mean, yeah, I think, the, I think the optimism should be there for the offseason. It's just whether or not they're going to get anything for D'Lo, right? Because the market is completely gone. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the reason you have to bring him back is at least you can move him at some point. I mean, and here's the thing. He's going to play well during the regular season. The issue for the Lakers is, you know, can he play well? By, by, by the way, he played well against the Warriors. He, he, he had his moments just an absolute dreadful conference finals. Just, I mean... Take him off the floor. Don't put him back in. Don't start him. Kind of a conference final. So, but listen, I mean, I fully expect if if, if he came back and they wanted to flip him at some point, he's going to play well during the first half of the season. Uh, Want to bring in Armani buckets for this portion of the conversation? So I was at the LeBron James press conference. It was very clear what he wanted to do in that press conference, and I was amazed that none of the reporters, again, I had my hand up, but, you know, they, maybe they, they didn't want to call me. <laughs> but, um, uh, it was very clear he was hint, <laughs> excuse me, he was hinting at the fact that, um, don't take me for granted, there's no guarantee that I'm going to come back again. Yes, they just got swept in the conference finals. However, you know, the run that they had was pretty remarkable, you know, when he talked at at the um, All-Star break in Salt Lake. We all kind of laughed at the time. He said, these are the 23 most significant regular season games of my career. And to his credit, guys, I mean, he, you know, they they won the majority of them, obviously. You know, go into to, to, to the play-in tournament, win that play-in tournament, beat the Grizzlies, beat the, the Warriors. 
Um, but he didn't want to talk about the following season. And then at the end, he shoehorned it in. No one asked him this question. He just shoehorned it in. I got a lot to think about. I got a lot to think about when it comes to the game of basketball. And Armani Buckets, I, I really think this is just a power play for him. I think he, he wants to see certain things done. Here's what I will say. They have a core group in place that I think will be one of the best teams in the league, at least on paper. Again, health is always the big concern. But don't play around with it. Don't, don't once again take a sledgehammer to this core group that got you to the conference finals. At the end of the day, what we're going to see is that the, the Denver Nuggets are the best team in the league. And if the Lakers are number two, three, four, I don't know. But you lost to the best team in the league and the best player in the world. There's no shame in that. My concern is that LeBron's not going to be happy and that maybe he's going to want to go for Kyrie. Ky Ky Kyrie's not coming here, and he should not come here. But the Dallas Mavericks will keep him. They're not going to cooperate with the Lakers. Mark Cuban, the last thing Mark Cuban is going to do is help the Lakers. So, Armani Buckets, your thoughts on LeBron's, what LeBron said and what the Lakers have to do to contend next season? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting topic because obviously there was – the um, interactions dealing with Mike Malone in the media and how Mike Malone would continuously say that the Lakers were taking away the shine of the Nuggets. So maybe that had some influence to LeBron's timing it to distract from the sweep. I don't really understand. But the one thing that I will say is nobody besides LeBron James knows how LeBron James's body feels. 20 years with the foot injury, potential rehab in the offseason, Nobody knows how much his body hurts when he wakes up in the morning. Nobody knows these things besides him. So for him to contemplate it, I do think that he was being genuine. Now, did he exaggerate it maybe a, a tad bit to, to make it seem a little bit more extreme uh, uh, regarding the retirement? I think so. But um, I do think that he's seriously contemplating his future and maybe who knows maybe if he does need a surgery and a rehabilitation process maybe he does take some time into next season i thought the most interesting part of the the phrasing of the way that it was reported was that he might not be with the team i think at the start of next season is what they said um he might not begin the next season with the team so i thought i think he's hinting at being a, more of a part-time player is what I kind of took away from it. Maybe a 50 games a year type of player and then save his best for the postseason and for games like game four. Yeah, Tim, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Le LeBron is, uh, wants to control the media and anytime LeBron even hints. By the way, he's never done this before. He has never hinted he's going to retire. That being said, I, I, I just find it hard to believe that he's not going to have a big you know, send off tour, re re a retirement tour. Um, so I, he, he signed for uh, two more years. I, I don't know whether he's going to play two more years. I, I certainly think that that is more likely than him retiring. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on LeBron James? Yeah, I think he's not going to retire. I mean, I, I think Armand puts up a good point that he's probably just going to like enter this as a part-time player type of thing. I mean, he, he probably should to like conserve health. It's it's he's got so many miles on him at this point, but there's no way a player like him at this point in his career with the ego that he has is ever going to just be like, OK, guys, I'm done. That's my ball. That's my show. 
he's going to come out with like a retirement tour, right? Like yeah. the whole year has to be about LeBron. So like when that happens, we'll know about it. I mean, you mentioned candidly, I think on your Twitter, uh, the dates that are significant within the next two years about having the All-Star game in LA. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's a perfect kind of like pageantry event for a man like him. And with his kind of reputation and with this, his, his kind of like history with the NBA, He's not doing the Tim Duncan thing, okay? He's not going to be, yeah. all right, uh, uh, I'm going to leave now, guys. I'm done. There's just no way. It's it's LeBron James, right? Like, there's just no way. Yeah. Um, real quick, before we head to break, again, uh, we, we never had this before in basketball and in hockey where we had four of the conference finals were 3-0, so there was a really a distinct possibility we'd have four uh, sweeps. Now... We have a possibility. Okay, so we had one sweep in the in the West, one in the um, East with the Florida Panthers um, and the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Boston Celtics forcing a Game Seven against Miami, and then with the Vegas Golden Knights and the, the Dallas Stars, uh, we have a Game Six tonight uh, there. Uh, very likely, perhaps forcing a Game Seven back in Las Vegas on Wednesday. Uh, real quick, because again, depending on where and how you are tuning in, this game may already be over with. What do we think about this, guys? I mean, I mean we've never seen it in the NBA, a 3-0. And I kept saying, I kept saying, it's going to happen at some point. And if it does, this is the scenario in which it happens, where a lower seed somehow finds a, win to, somehow finds a way to win three straight, and the higher seed turns it around but tim when you looked at that game three and it definitely looked like the celtics quit it definitely looked like they were done for the season it definitely looked like joe Mazzula had lost that locker room for them to come back and force this game seven and perhaps complete the first ever 3-0 uh comeback is incredible I mean, Jimmy just looks tired, right? I mean, yeah. I thought I thought they quit too. They they gave up on the fourth quarter. All their starters sat, and then they were just done. It was Peyton Pritchard's entire quarter. So I didn't think that that was going to happen. I, I know Armand has probably something to say about it too, but it just looks like their coverage now on having Bam not be a primary scorer and then Jimmy obviously being a little more exhausted because he's playing every single minute is starting to catch up on them. So they look like they're the the team to come through. Uh, they look like they're the team that's actually making all the plays. When it counts, and Tatum is scoring again at will, and Al Horford looks like he's like 15 years younger. I don't know if you guys have been noticing the guys playing incredible, like lights out defense. So <laughs> I don't know about you, Armand. I think Boston's the easy favorite now. Yeah, I agree, but um, I have to be honest with you. I love Jimmy Butler too much to pick against. I really, him. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, you have a little bias on that one for sure. I definitely have bias. This is the biggest game of Jimmy's life. I mean, a redemption of Game 7 last year, the quotes that he's had since then, even considering the finals that they made in the bubble, for him personally, this is a legacy-defining moment and probably the biggest legacy-defining moment for the rest of his entire career. So I understand the Celtics have all the momentum. It doesn't make logical sense to pick Miami. The Celtics are the more talented team, but there's something in me that says Jimmy Butler is not going to go out like this. He, he can't, right? He can't go out on, you know, he was three for 19 at one point last game, finishes five for 21. If it wasn't for the last two minutes, he would have had a terrible game. There's, it's just the way that he got to this point in this postseason. I refuse to believe that he will go out like this. 
Um, my logic says to pick the Celtics, but my heart is saying Heat. And so, yeah, I think Miami. Real quick, guys, the Denver Nuggets, according to reports, have already booked a flight to, sorry, the Miami Heat have booked a flight to Denver for game one. You, you got to have that mentality. You, you, you just do. So I know that'll get some headlines. I'm, I'm assuming the Celtics, if they're smart, have bought or, or have booked their flight too. I mean, the game, game one, because this series went to seven, is coming up pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, 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 a legacy-defining game, uh, Tim Lee. I mean, what, what do you think? If, if, if Jimmy loses this game, if the Heat loses this game, how does that hurt? I mean, because he was unstoppable for the first three games. If he loses four straight, what does that mean? I don't think it means that much. I mean, <laughs> this is a team that has, that has defied every single expectation this playoff. So on paper, it shouldn't actually affect him too much. But like Armand said, like this is a guy who has so much pride with this game, has been an incredible playoff performer. So I kind of do expect him to bounce back. But will the rest of the cast for the Heat bounce back too? Right? That's the biggest question. Yeah. To me. All right. Let's leave it there. When we come back, we'll talk more about uh, these these amazing conference finals and uh, what's in store for the Lakers. When we come back right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the Bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. nothing more valuable it's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment we celebrate living large in the now in a city where time disappears we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever we go big we go all night and here everyone is invited so get loose and get loud this is circa you'll have the time of your life This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment, just want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline 310-400-0340. All right, we were, we were talking about this before the break, and I was thinking about this, guys. We, you guys touched on LeBron James potentially being a part-time player. And the one player that I, of course, thought of was Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. Now, Tim, I mean, maybe it's not fair call Kawhi a, a, a part-time player, but it's a load management type deal. Could LeBron just adopt that style where, you know, he, and by the way, LeBron during the course of the season is dealing with either a foot injury, a knee injury, something like that. Could you see LeBron James perhaps, perhaps adopting Kawhi's, uh, you know, not playing on the second night of a back-to-back, not practicing, things like that? I think there has to be a new strategy with this load management stuff because I think that this course has started to pull back on it. Yeah. It's got to the point where they're even saying like load management might not be great for players because now they're getting to the point where their bodies are not accustomed to the kind of like wear and tear that the game kind of demands them to have on a day-to-day basis. So 
maybe the innovation would be like LeBron misses half the season, but he doesn't do it in like bits and pieces. He just misses half the season. Like what I if he doesn't see. show up for like the first three months for the season? Yeah. And then he and then he plays the rest of the year in a consistent basis with like maybe like one or two maintenance days. Uh, I don't know if that's like innovative or not, but I feel like people have started to like reverse course at least for the discourse for like load management. It, it used to be a thing where it was like, oh, this might be like the innovation to get star players to be like up to speed during the playoffs. But now with all the influx of injuries the last three years now at this point during the playoffs, I think people are starting to reverse course on this, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. And by the way, I mean, the worst thing that happened with load management was when Kawhi came back uh, with t- Toronto. He, he had his one season in Toronto. And uh, they, they had, you know, for lack of a better term, like a load management program for him. He looked so fresh, so healthy during the postseason, obviously. Uh, Toronto goes on to win the uh, championship. And not only does that become the blueprint for Kawhi, but that became the blueprint for Paul George and so many other players. Armani Buckets, could you imagine LeBron James doing something like that? Again, he has two years left on his contract. Not saying he's going to play those full two years, but I fully expect him to. You know, I I, I don't think um, he's done. I do think he wants to play on the same court. By the way, this is important. LeBron has said two things in in, in regards to his son Bronny, who will be a freshman this upcoming season with USC. I he he said initially he would love to play with his son, like as his teammate. I do think he's walked that back a bit to say I, he would love to play on the same NBA court. You know, like going head to head against his son. And to be honest, if I'm Bronny, and this is what I've always felt, I I think that's preferred if you're Bronny. Like, I I don't know if you necessarily want your dad in the locker room with you for your, you know, your first season. I think you want to be your own guy. Uh, So, again, you know, when you go head to head with your dad, that's a headline four, five, six, eight times in your first year. As opposed to if your teammates with them, just traveling with them on the road with them in the locker room with them every night, it's just, uh, I think that's a bit much. But anyways, long-winded way of me asking our buddy Buck is, can you imagine LeBron doing load management his last two seasons? Yeah, I actually completely agree with you, Tim. I think that we could see him do something where, you know, he says, I'll show up when I show up. I might, you know skip the first month to three months of the season, but you know that when I'm back, the version of me that you will get is me exerting my full energy and effort. And I think that that was what game four was all about. Kind of showing the Lakers, the front office, Jeannie bus. Hey, I still have this version of me. It's always there, but you have to trust me when it comes to how I manage my body. And I think that that's kind of, what he's been hinting at, especially as he gets older in age. But the question is, if LeBron does that, can the Lakers sustain? Because that's a lot of pressure now on Anthony Davis to not only play at an MVP level, but to stay healthy. Obviously, Reeves, Hachimura, and probably some of the other young guys will get more of an opportunity. And I'm sure they will do well. But that is a lot of burden on Anthony Davis. And, you know, we've seen him play at that level. It's just the health part that kind of will always concern me and should concern all of us. Yeah, I mean, the the health, again, is the number one 
concern. And again, when you looked at missed opportunities, I think that was the the the, the face of frustration we saw post game from LeBron. Again, knowing what he dealt with this season to just play. And Anthony Davis, I mean, he remembers what it was like to win a championship in 2020, again, short offseason, but then coming back in 2021, just not being healthy. So when you have both of those guys healthy, playing like two of the top 10 players in the world, like, like you just have to take advantage of that, Tim. And I don't mean to bring up a, a sore topic, but again, no. I mean, the, the Clippers are the perfect example of this. Again, they, they, they did everything right in terms of, you know, if you can – Put two of the top 10 players in the world together on the same team, you do it. And in 2020, it worked out well in terms of the, their their success on the court. You go to the bubble in Orlando, 3-1 lead against Denver. One went away from playing the Lakers in the conference finals and then lose. And then since then, Tim, they've never been healthy in the same postseason. 2021, Kawhi goes down. 2022, Kawhi's out for the full season. Paul George goes down in the play-in tournament. And then 2023, just as it looked like they had turned the corner, uh, Paul George goes down, then Kawhi goes down. Again, you just they've never had those two guys healthy in the postseason. It's unfortunate because that's the whole point is to put together these kind of like you would think on paper complementary players. These are two incredible three and D wings, both of which have really good playmaking capabilities, not elite playmaking capabilities, but just the ability to make shots. And they complement each other well because Kawhi can shoot from mid-range. He has an incredible drive game. And Paul George is like super deadly from outside. So like on paper, obviously, all these things make sense. All the mix of characters that they put in on the Clippers team as well. The sharpshooters, the really 3 and D guys, uh, the rim runners, and like the, the shot blockers like Zubac. Like all these guys are supposed to make sense. But yeah, like you mentioned, sometimes you just can't predict health. And yeah. uh, it's not like they actively recruited two of the most oft-injured players to begin with. Kawhi had, had like a share of risk, but before his Toronto reputation, it wasn't like he was known for being a very injury-plagued player. And Paul, right, the only time he really had like a huge injury was that fluke injury he had before his All-Star, not All-Star, sorry, his, uh, his Olympic run where yeah. he basically tore everything apart. And that was really the only time that people even had any concerns of injury for Paul George. So these weren't guys, and I, I know that revisionist history will say otherwise, these, was, these weren't guys that had huge reputation red flags. Yeah. So to have them then have it all put together in the Clippers and never really put it all together to, as, a, as, a, as a tandem like they were supposed to, uh, it is disappointing, right? Like even if you weren't a Clipper fan, just as a, a viewer of, of basketball in general, it's just unfortunate to not watch these two perform at peak yeah, well, I mean, to, yeah, I don't to know your point, I, I mean, seeing Kawhi play that game one of that Sun series was so much fun to watch because that was that was playoff Kawhi, that was peak Kawhi. Right. That was like for a moment you you watch that and say this is why they they do all that. So again, during the course of the season, you know you don't love it. I know Ty Lue, by the way, is not didn't love the load management and some days not knowing if he'd have Kawhi. Some days not knowing if Kawhi would just play the first half, not the second half. But then you watch that game one, and you're like, that's why. This is Kawhi. And to be honest, he kind of looked that way in game two. Didn't quite look like himself. And then we found out what happened there. Uh, you're 100% right. Like, you don't have to be a Clippers fan to want to see, hey, listen, I mean, 
you want to see good basketball. And that would have been a fantastic series. And I have no doubt, by the way, just seeing the way the Suns played against the Clippers without Kawhi and without Paul George and the way that they played in the next round, like the Clippers would have won that series. And, and so it's just frustrating to see uh, that happen. Um, Tim, just briefly switching gears to hockey, just because I was at uh, game five in Las Vegas where Las Vegas had a, a chance to win the West. Again, they uh, take a three Oh series lead against the Dallas stars. Uh, uh, very similar to the Celtics series in, in the sense that, you know, blew out to Dallas in game three. The fans were throwing the debris and trash up the ice. The captain gets, uh, you know, gets uh, suspended for uh, two games. It just right. they look like a done team. <clears throat> and then, listen, I, like I tell people, the way that these comebacks happen, as simplistic as it sounds, you just have to win one game. And then you win one game, and then the next thing you know, then you win two games. That's where Dallas is at right now. They're kind of in the similar boat to where the Heat were at against the Celtics, um, where they, if they win their home game, game uh, six, they can uh, force a game seven back here in Las Vegas on Wednesday. Your thoughts on what's happening there? I know it's kind of strange because, like, Vegas just needs to play clean, right? Like, their whole issue has not been a matter of quality on the ice. It's just, it's just like being able to reduce turnovers and just yeah. play good neutral zone hockey. So they haven't done that, and the Stars have been as opportunistic as you can think of. They haven't really had high-impact or high-danger scoring chances, and they didn't show that in the first three games. And now that they get their captain back, uh, all the momentum is kind of on their side, but all people have to remember is that Vegas isn't losing because they're they're playing worse hockey. Vegas is definitely losing because they're playing obviously mismanaged hockey. Puck management has been really really bad. But like if they just reduce some of the giveaways that they've had, I think in game five they had twenty four giveaways, which is an insane amount. So it was a great line pro post game. Bruce Cassidy mentioned that. 24 giveaways. He said, you're not being the Phoenix Coyotes in January. <laughs> 24 giveaways. And then people on Twitter were like, what What, what did the Phoenix Coyotes do to get this, this straight Why they get, Why are they catching yeah. straight? Yeah. Exactly. No, but Tim, you're 100% right. Two, two things to note. That, number one, just puck management. I mean, again, you can't give up the puck 24 times. That's A. Right. B, they've been a tremendous road team. They've been a tremendous road team. I think that's why I, I was really surprised that they didn't win in game four to complete the sweep. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, didn't have a great feeling in game five. And again, I don't know why. I got a feeling they're going to close this out in game six. They've been a tremendous team on the road this season. Right. You just can't give the opposition 60% of the shots, right? Yeah. It it works in hockey, it works in football, it works in soccer, whatever you want to call it. You just can't give that many opportunities to the opposition. These are teams that are in the playoffs for a reason, right? Even if you want to consider them a team that's about to get swept, it doesn't matter. The quality of the team is still there. Uh, Jamie Benn being back is, is going to be a huge deal. It's going to be a big lift for them, I'm sure. But I'm sure that if the Golden Knights just play their game, if they just reduce the amount of turnovers and just play good puck management, the quality that you saw in the first three games where they blew them out in game three, that's yeah. still there. It's not like the identity of the team is gone, right? The makeup is still there. So I don't think the concern should be there yet. And even if there is concern to begin with, there is a game seven potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Game seven would be here uh, Wednesday. Uh, no matter what, at this point, it looks like uh, yeah, game one of these Stanley Cup final will be on 
Saturday, and again, uh, that will be that will go to the winner of the Western Conference because Florida, uh, yeah, people are talking about the Heat. The Florida Panthers have also had an amazing run so far this postseason. Right, uh, guys. Before we close it out, wanted to talk about the uh, draft. Uh, again, have not been this excited for a um, NBA draft for quite <laughs> some time. Victor Wembanyam, of course, Victor is going to go to the San Antonio Spurs, and I think that's good, good, good for the Spurs. Obviously, goes without saying, but also good for the league. Good, good for Victor. Uh, first, uh, Tim wanted to get your thoughts on Victor Wembanyama going to uh, the uh, Spurs, and then Armani Buckets wanted to get your thoughts on Victor, but also. A deep draft. Again, in any other draft, Scoot Henderson would be the top pick. Obviously, he's not this year. He'll be the number two. He's he's extremely good. But, Tim, first to you, Victor, of course, going to Greg Popovich in the Spurs. I mean, isn't it uh, almost serendipitous? Uh, a foreign prospect, an international prospect with as much hype as humanly possible, probably the, arguably the most hype since LeBron James, it's going to go to the team that has been the number one caveat of basically exploding international talent onto the NBA to begin with, which is the San Antonio Spurs. Could he have asked for a better team to land on? I don't think no. he could have, right? There's just no. no way. The greatest coach maybe of our generation, Greg Popovich, uh, just an amazing learning tree, the, the amount of experience and just the season and culture that the Spurs have. If you thought Victor Wembayama was like going to be an incredible prospect, I, I I can't wait to just see what he's going to be as a San Antonio Spur. And I know a lot of the talk is going to be on him, and a lot of talk, rightfully so, has been on him for the last like year as being the guy to like can't miss. Like you mentioned with Scoot, I mean, like I, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm a little bit off on him a little bit. I'm more on Brandon Miller nowadays, but. Oh, okay. I think even I think the confidence is there for him, right? I, I, he took the G League route, which is like a route that I believe is the best way to go into the pros because you're getting that experience that you're supposed to get. Henderson has just like a really, really good ability to create his own shot. His wing length is incredible. And like you mentioned, if it wasn't for Victor, he probably would go number one or two, right? So it's difficult. Uh, this draft is ex extremely deep. I'm very much looking forward to how my team, which is the Indiana Pacers, is going to draft. We get three picks within the first 30, so pretty excited about that. Armand, if you want to talk about Victor Wembanyama, I think there's been so much stuff talked about him i mean people have waxed poetic about him so but I, like i said rightfully so right yeah i mean obviously there's been so many angles covered with Wembenyama already the the things that stand out to me are how polished he is in front of the media how much poise he has and charisma he has and the question is who is going to be the pick and roll partner with him in San Antonio? Because they have forty million in cap space. Mm -hmm. Do they go and do they go the veteran route and get a veteran point guard? I feel like the important thing is we've already heard that Greg Popovich, you know, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, they're going to be there to mentor him. But he needs somebody on that team or multiple people on that team that have experience as veterans. You know, maybe it wouldn't even be a bad spot for a guy like a Pat Bev who prides himself on something like that. Um, and then you talked about it, Tim, how deep this draft is. We don't know if the Lakers will keep that pick at 17, but right. if they do keep it, that's going to be an exciting prospect that they're going to get. You know, you have a lot of guys that have uh, skill sets that fit the modern NBA very well. A lot of shooters in that range. Um, Lakers are in good hands if they keep that pick and we know what they do in the scouting department and in the evaluation department. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if they keep it, but if they do, 
Laker fans should be excited. I mean, you guys are 100% right. I mean, they, the, the one thing you got to give them, they have drafted extremely well, not just with late first round picks, with second round picks, with drafted players. Before we call it a day, I, I did want to bring up a, a player that's very near and dear to the hearts of very, you know, fans in Southern California and with the Hello. Lakers. Alonzo Ball. Okay. Lonzo Ball, I'm, I'm, uh, it, it, this could be a, a sad story, and I don't know. But again, reports are, Armando Buckets, privately, the Chicago Bulls believe that he's done with the basketball. I really hope that that's not the case. At the very least, though, it, you know, I, I don't know if he'll become the player that that, that 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 he could have been. Your take on that, again, reports are Lonzo Ball could be done with with the basketball. First and foremost, prayers out to Lonzo. It is mm-hmm. so sad to see what has happened to his career. Um, I, I do want to say, though, are we really surprised? I know that sounds hurtful, but this has been trending this direction since the January of, what was it, 2022? Yeah. When he basically was ruled out for a month and he hasn't played since. A lot of that has to do with, you know, the big baller brand shoes that he wore. There's a viral clip of him saying, I had to change my shoes out every quarter because they would rip and they would tear. (laughs) So, you know, greed can do these things. They were so quick and adamant to sell those shoes at a high price. And I'm sure they made a ton of money doing so, but you hate to see the other side of it where, where Lonzo's career has gotten cut short. Also, the Bulls, as an organization, have not had a good track record at all dealing with injuries. You know, going back to Joakim Noah, they almost killed, I think it was Lou Aldang with a spinal tap, and Derek Rose, obviously. So Lonzo, unfortunately, is another one of the Bulls that is going to turn into a what-if. I hope not, but it, it, it's trending in that direction. Yeah, it's in cartilage yeah. transplant, right? So it's like it's an insane strategy. Not strategy, sorry. The the surgery in general almost kind of indicates that he's pretty much done as an NBA point guard, which is unfortunate, right? Because like Lonzo has been through so many career transformations. He he became this guy who was supposed to be the next Jason Kidd essentially, and then he became this great three point shooter when he when he when he moved and shopped around uh, an incredible defensive guard. It's just a shame to watch because you just have only positive stories and all the last three years have been all negative, right? So uh, I feel for him, obviously, but uh, secure long-term health over over short-term health. Exactly. I mean, just, you know, just uh, when you think about that family and I cover them, uh, you know, as closely as you can, again, was in China with LeVar Ball, LiAngelo Ball. Uh, just to, you know, again, I, 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 I hope it's not true, but at the very least, it doesn't look like he's going to come back to be the same player he was, and it could be the end of Monzo Ball's career. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing, currency chasing. Worldwide through the hard times, worrying faces. Shed tears as we worry brothers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.